Thank you, thank you to Ian. You guys did a great job. I am so grateful. It's so cool when you have uh, some things that are changing up a little bit, and, and when you look around and you see how God is blessed and how God has allowed you to grow to the point as a church and as a body uh, that you can just kind of, the next person steps up, and that's so cool. That's so awesome, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning as we're continuing, uh, what is this, week number two of this series entitled Fight Club, uh, Fight Club, and so last week, if you'll remember, if you were here, uh, last week was a little bit bumpy uh, in some ways. I will readily admit that. It was a little bit bumpy for me for several reasons, uh, but, and this is really very, very important to remember, uh, the, one of the reasons that last week might have been a little bit bumpy is because everything that we talked about, um, everything that we, we drew from Scripture was telling us what Jesus said, things he said, things that he didn't say, uh, things that Scripture tells us that Jesus did do, and things that Jesus did not do. Um, and, and this is not my opinion. This isn't Harley's opinion. This isn't Jeremy's opinion. Jeremy's teaching in Stuttgart this morning. Um, this is something that Jesus talked about. And so since this is something that Jesus talked about, we need to pay a little bit of attention to it. We need to pay attention to what Jesus said on these topics. And last week, we talked about how Jesus said the number one rule for his fight club, uh, the number one rule as a Christ follower, as a Christian for his fight club is not, we don't talk about fight club. Um, even though, you know, yeah, if, if you know, you know, uh, that's rule number one of that fight club. But the number one rule of Jesus's fight club is love your enemies. Uh, and not only that, love your enemies, then Jesus kind of ratcheted it up a little bit. He raised the standard even more by saying not only should we love our enemies, we should also pray for our enemies as well. Pray for them too. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal reality. Uh, it is something that is in no way intuitive, um, and it is certainly not expected by other people, right? You think about it. Uh, people do not expect us to love our enemies. We are not expected to pray for the people who persecute us, not in the 21st century. That is not expected, and uh, you could also say that is not expected in any century uh, ever. Uh, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. But that is what, as best we can tell, that's what Jesus commanded his followers to do. Um, and it's really very different from what's expected. It's, 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 it's almost upside down, you know? It's, it's upside down from what uh, we experience every day as a part of this life, uh, as a part of the world that we experience. And, and like we said last week, that's kind of the point, though, right? Uh, it seems as if when you read the New Covenant, when you read the New Testament, that the Christ-following lifestyle is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be different from normal. It's supposed to look different. It's supposed to sound different. Um, it's supposed to make people... Uh, kind of raise their eyebrows and go, man, there's something about you that's different. Uh, it's like you've got something going on inside of you that allows you to react and to respond to things differently than I do. It's supposed to be different because we're never more an image bearer of the creator than when we love our enemies. Um, and then last week, we kind of tried to begin the process of redefining that word just a little bit um, because in today's culture, and I'm right at the top of this. I'm, I'm guilty of this. In today's culture, we've kind of altered the definition of enemy. We kind of look at that word enemy just a little bit different um, and uh, just a little bit different. And, and basically, when we think of enemies, when we think of our enemies, we immediately, our mind immediately goes to the people that disagree with us. It immediately goes to the people that vote differently than we do. Um, it immediately, uh, it goes directly to the people that would just assume we sit down, shut up, and keep our beliefs, our values, and our opinions to ourselves. They are the enemy. And, and, and we really 
it's pretty natural to want to fight that. It's pretty natural to want to push back on that. Uh, but last week, we kind of started talking about how really the real enemy, the enemy that we really have been battling is me. I am my own worst enemy. And, and you too. There's like there's this, there's this internal battle that's going on inside of me between what God's spirit is leading me to do and what my flesh wants me to do. Uh, you know, my, my nature and uh, what it's wanting me to do. Um, I'm my own worst enemy. But, and, and, and this, is, this, is, this is true, I mean, loving our enemies, and I'm just being honest, loving our enemies, it does not seem very just. You know, it, it does not check the box that I have for justice. It does not check the box that I have for fairness. You know, it's not just, it's not fair, but that's what Jesus said. That is what Jesus said to do. And so here's what I've done. You may not relate with this at all. I'm just kind of being transparent and telling you the way that I've kind of worked around some of that command in my life, in my, in, in my time of following Jesus. This is kind of what I've done. I've done a little bit of an end around on Jesus. Um, I've kind of said, like, okay, Jesus, okay, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. I'll do my best. Um, and, and, and truthfully, I have done okay in some ways. I, I'm pretty good about not openly fighting my enemies. I'm pretty good about not going into open confrontation with my enemies. I, I'm decent at that. Um, I, I've, that's something, right? You know, I mean, that's better than nothing, I guess. Um, and something else that I'm pretty good at, and I've gotten better at, honestly, over the course of the last several years, I'm pretty good about not going on social media and putting my, my, my enemies on blast. I've been pretty good about not outright, you know, just going at and, and attacking the people that disagree with me or the people that don't, you know, look at the world the same way that I do. I've done a pretty good job at that. Um, and, and I bet to a degree you might understand that as well. The truth of the matter is this, even though I don't show it, okay, even though on the surface it looks like I'm good and it looks like I'm just kind of, you know, that peaceful Christian that's kind of like, whatever, cool, I'm, I'm okay, I'm not, love my enemies, pray, pray for those who persecute you, all of that, even though on the surface it looks like I do a pretty good job, the truth of the matter is on the inside I'm not doing a good job. On the inside I am boiling. On the inside, um, you know, deep down inside, whatever it is that I believe that they have done to me that they are getting away with, it makes me very very angry because that's not just and that's not fair. Um, and I'm hurt by whatever it is that they did. There, there's been something that's happened and, and I might act like everything is okay. Um, I might act like it didn't bother me. I might, you know, put a smile on my face, but the truth is every single day it eats at me just a little bit and it bothers me a little bit more every single day. So while I won't, will not openly fight my enemies, I won't do that. I'm pretty good at that. Um, I won't, you know, like engage them too much in a debate. I'll kind of, you know, I'll try to do, do better than that. The truth is, I'm not going to let my true feelings be too obvious. Uh, I, I'm just not. I'm going to cover them up because deep down, the truth is, most of the time I'm angry, I'm hurt, and I'm looking for retribution. You know, I'm just looking for retribution. But here's the problem, for me anyway, and, and maybe you can relate to this. When we live that way over time, you know, when we live that way every single day, just kind of covering it up and pushing it down and, and, and keeping it from, from coming out, then over time, it, it builds up, right? Over time, that anger will build and it will build and it will build uh, until finally that anger actually turns into something different. And there's a lot of different words we could probably use to describe it, but the, the best word that I can come up with and the word that most, uh, most of the, the research that we've done is the word bitterness. That anger, if given enough time, it will turn into bitterness. We get very, very bitter 
uh, at whoever or whomever has has hurt us. And, and, and this fight club thing that we're talking about this month, it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. It's not natural what we're talking about. And the reason that it's difficult for me is because I have some people in my life who have done more than just offend me, you know? You too, I'm sure. I have some people in my life that have done things to me, said things to me, said things to people that I care about, and, and, and that has been a very, very deep wounding. And as a result, I've got some pretty thick scar tissue that I'm dealing with. And, and, and I, you guys as well, I know that. And, and there are some stories, uh, you know, and, and this is not comparing bad and bad. That's not the point. It's just, I understand. We've got some things that hurt, man. We've got some things in our life that when you look back on it, it's like, that hurt, and, and I'm wounded, and, and there's some scar tissue as a result of it. And so what happens is, um, over time, for me, even though you guys can't see it, and y'all don't know me as well as maybe some of the people in Stuttgart do. I haven't been around uh, long enough for you guys to know me all that well, but um, the truth of the matter is, I can cover it up for a period of time. I can have a smile on my face for a period of time, but when it's all said and done, the truth of the matter is this, I'm hurt and I'm angry, and if I'm just being honest about it, I'm looking for retribution. Um, I'm looking for them to get whatever it is that they deserve. Um, my anger toward that person or those people or that group, um, it slowly changes into bitterness. Um, and I'm guessing I'm not alone on this. Uh, probably a lot of us can relate to that on a certain level um, because bitterness, this is kind of, if we were going to give bitterness some personification, if we were going to personify bitterness, this is kind of what bitterness says. Uh, according to all the research we've done and, and a lot of what we find from scripture, bitterness says, well, if this isn't just and this isn't fair. This isn't right. You know, that's what bitterness says. And, and, and bitterness says, and while I cannot openly retaliate, while I openly can't go after my enemies, because, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray, pray for those who persecute you. While I can't openly go after them, here's what I can do. I can just sit back and I can wait for someone else to get them. You know, I, I can just sit back and I can wait for someone else to hurt them. That's what kind of what, that's where bitterness moves us, you know, that anger that turns into bitterness. And so we kind of wait for justice. We wait for fairness to be pounded into that person or those people. Um, and all the while, I'm just sitting back watching from a distance, smiling, going, ha, you got what was coming to you. I didn't do it, Jesus. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I loved my enemy, but the truth of the matter is this, they got what was coming to them. You know, I mean, that's, that's my life. That's, that really tells the story of pretty much my existence of following Jesus from April, August the 23rd, 1998 until, what is today, June 11th, 2023, right? That pretty much, that's the truth. I, I struggle with that. It's like, Jesus, I did what you told me to do. I didn't touch them. I didn't touch them, but they got what was coming to them. Um, and there's just something about that that feels good, you know? I mean, look, I don't like this about myself, but I'm just being honest. There's something about it. When what goes around comes around, there, there's, there's something about that that feels good. It feels just. You know, it feels, it feels fair. It feels natural. It feels right. It just feels good, and I relate to that. Um, and, and maybe you do as well, because bitterness is powerful. Um, bitterness is living on the inside of us, and bitterness is dangerous because bitterness can be all-consuming. It's, it um, it's sneaky. Bitterness is clever. Bitterness is not satisfied with being a feeling among feelings. Bitterness wants to be the feeling, you know? Bitterness wants to be the feeling 
the feeling, not a feeling among feelings. Um, it's consuming and it can be destructive. Um, I told you that Jeremy was teaching in Stuttgart and we were talking this week, kind of getting prepared and, and, and him and myself, Harley, we were talking and uh, he told me a story about some kind of how, how he relates to this. And I asked him, I said, can I just have permission to tell that? He said, sure. So I'm going to try my best to to tell it the way he told it to me. Uh, this is what Jeremy said. He said, I've been thinking about this uh, this week, this specific teaching um, for, for a while now, he said, and I've been thinking about the times in my life when people hurt me. And I've been thinking about the times in my life uh, when the people who hurt me, how that made me feel. You know, he's kind of has been reliving some of that, you know, kind of going back in his mind, going back in his past. And he said, uh, and the truth of the matter is this, he said, I have a list. He said, I have a list. He said, um, I may not... Uh, put that list out there. I may not let you know who's on that list, but the truth is, he said, I have a list. He said, and when I think of those things, it stirs up emotions. It stirs up feelings um, toward those individuals. And then he made this comment, which I thought was interesting. He said, and I'm just going to read it verbatim to what he said to me. He said, what makes those things the hardest to talk about is he said, it's the fact that most of the hurt, the biggest hurts for him actually came from church. He said it actually came from church, church members, and it specifically came from pastors. He said, that's what makes it really, really hard for me to talk about. Um, he said, it's the people that, you know, I, I kind of cared about and cared about me. He said, those are the hurts that hurt the worst. Uh, and he said, and because of that, it's not something that's easy for him to talk about. But then he made this comment that I could really relate to. Maybe you can as well. He said, but if I'm being honest with you, he said, if I'm being honest with myself, he said, the times in his life where he has the strongest anger and the strongest feeling of bitterness is when someone has done something to hurt someone that he loves and someone that he cares about. It's not necessarily just him, but it's actually the people that he's connected to. He said, man, those are the times, those are the moments that stand out the most in his memory. Um, he said, those are the ones that make him grit his teeth and to be very angry and very bitter. And those are the ones he really has a hard time moving past. Um, and the truth is this, and, and I can relate to a lot of that, uh, quite a bit of that, actually. Jeremy and I's story is very similar. And, um, uh, but, but the truth of the matter is this, Jeremy is probably pretty much justified in his anger. You know, Jeremy is probably justified. Somebody probably did do some really bad things to him or really bad things to the people that he cares about. And so that's not the point. He is probably justified in feeling the way that he feels. Um, because, hey, we rightfully get angry when someone has done something to us, cheated us, cheated on us, you know, and they got away with it, right? That's a terrible feeling, you know, they got away with it again. And, and, and we rightfully, we feel some anger, we feel, um, you know, we feel some resentment to that. But kind of the point is, given enough time, you know, enough time where we just kind of let that linger and we let that uh, marinate and we kind of let that stay in the basement and lift weight, so to speak, that anger over time will actually turn into bitterness. And that bitterness becomes all-consuming and that bitterness is destructive. It's very destructive. Because here's what bitterness does. It reminds me, bitterness reminds me of what they did to me every time, you know, every time that thought pops, it reminds me of what happened and what they said to me and how they treated me and how they caused that thing to happen to me or how they did that thing to the person that I love. It reminds me what they did to me every single time. And, and this is something else that's interesting about bitterness, it also reminds me of all the other things that have happened. That's what bitterness does because bitterness reminds you of other bitterness. It's like it kind of gets together, you know, and it kind of kind of joins together, joins forces because it's going to be an all-consuming emotion. Bitterness finds bitterness 
and it grows. If left unchecked, it consumes. Um, th this is, uh, is going to be on the screen. This is um, something we pulled from a, a book, an excerpt from a book, Forgiving What You'll Never Forget. Forgiving What You'll Never Forget by Dr. David Stoop. And this is, it's, I think, pretty sure I've got this on the screen, Michael. Um, th this is what he said is the pathway of bitterness through some research and through some just kind of uh, his experience on the topic. He said this, he said, the pathway of bitterness is an offense occurs. So something happens, you know, and as a result of that offense, we experience a hurt. Something happens and it hurts. Something happens and it's painful. Something happens and it creates, you know, that scar tissue begins to develop. And then he said, the next step is we kind of tell it and then we retell it and we tell it and we retell it. And when we get to the point where we almost obsess over whatever it is that happened, I can relate to that. I cannot tell you how many times by myself on my own, I have stood and I have had conversations with people who aren't there. Don't I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. But, but what, I, what I do, I have these conversations where, okay, if I say this and they say that, and then, you know, and it's like I'm trying to work through some of those things. And we get, I get consumed by it. You know, I get obsessed with it. And all along the way, we're thinking to ourselves, if we could just understand why, why did it happen? Why did they say it? Why did they do it? Then we could get over it. But according to Dr. Stoop, no matter what we discover, even if we do discover why, doesn't really help. It doesn't really help get over the hurt, go get over the injury. And so the, the step, the logical step that we take from a human perspective, from our natural, you know, flesh perspective, the natural next step is, well, I can't understand why, and it still hurts. So we seek retribution, we seek payment, we seek revenge, right? I want them to get what's coming to them. And along the way, that, that process leads, in many cases, to isolation, withdrawal, until finally bitterness lingers to the point that it grows, and it's destructive, it's consuming. And that is relatable to me. May not be to you, but that is specifically some parts to that are very relatable to me. Um, anger to bitterness and, and how that can just absolutely, I mean, I can think of seasons in my life where I look back on them and I go, man, I was worthless. I wasn't any good to anybody because of that. And, and it, it's, it's familiar to me. It's, in fact, honestly, that's pretty normal in, in, in the world. That's pretty typical right there. That's kind of how we... How we kind of how we cope to a degree. Um, and, and instead of looking more and more like Jesus, instead of becoming very different from normal, you know, instead of being a, a people that look very, very different and, and just kind of make people raise their eyebrow, instead of becoming more and more like the image bearer of the creator, we just look like everyone else. I just look like everyone else. I sound like everyone else. I talk like everyone else. I react and act like everyone else. And I'm consumed by that anger and I'm consumed by that bitterness that comes as a result that anger. And, and, and for me, it rendered me useless. It, it, it rendered me useless to others. It rendered me useless to myself. And it even rendered me useless. And this is the most tragic part. It rendered me useless to Jesus. I was, was useless. Before long, it got to the point where, and, and maybe you can relate to this, we don't look anything like Jesus anymore. You know, we don't look like any, anything like Jesus. But what we do start to look like is like everyone else. We just look like we look normal. We look typical. We we respond and we react the way that everyone else does. So the point you say, well, as Jesus taught, and as we're getting ready to read, Paul explained the apostle Paul explained, and probably as you have experienced at some point in your life, um, Paul knew as we're about to read, it's all consuming, and if left unchecked, it will destroy. 
But he also knew, and he's going to, we're going to see, he knew that Jesus has a way out. There's, an, there's a solution. There's not an easy solution, but there's a, there's a solution. Um, so what we're getting ready to read is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christ followers in Ephesus, the town of Ephesus. These are Ephesians. Um, and, and this is what he wrote. Kind of, We kind of contextualized this to a degree um, already, but Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4. It's going to be on your screen. He said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Okay, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So that statement that your parents made to you, you know, when you were a kid, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. They didn't make it up. They're not that smart. It comes from scripture. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Um, because on the heels of anger comes bitterness. And bitterness is destructive and it's consuming. And then Paul makes this statement. So interesting. So interesting. It's almost like he just kind of throws this in there, but it's, man, it's such a powerful statement. In verse 27, Paul says, because anger, here's the reason you don't need to do that, because anger gives a foothold to the devil. Okay, think about this. Think about that. Think about the implication there. Don't sin by being angry. Don't go, go to bed angry because anger, if left unchecked, anger is going to give a foothold to the evil one. Now, this is not a metaphor. A lot of times we talk about the different metaphors and things that are in Scripture. This is not an allegory that's being used to make a point. Uh, evil, this is real. This is evil exists. It's out there. Scripture teaches very, very clearly that, that, um, that, that there is a very real being with a very real army of, of uh, doing his, his work. It's, it's out there. It really, really exists. And, and the metaphor that Paul actually is talking about is kind of how anger gives a foothold. That's the metaphor. But the, the evil one is just as real as Jesus is. I mean, this is a very, very real thing. I, I believe that scripture teaches pretty clearly that, that, that the evil one's forces are around us all the time, just waiting for an opportunity to get involved, waiting for an opportunity to jump into the heart, the mind, the life, just, just looking, for a, looking for a weak spot in the defenses. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, anger is a really, really easy spot for the evil one to get a foothold into your life. So be careful. It's a warning, basically. Paul's giving us a warning. He's saying, hey, be careful with this. Be careful with this anger that you're dealing with because the evil one will use it and he'll use it to get control and to, to direct your life. Um, we've got an example of that actually in scripture. We're not going to put it on the screen, but um, in Genesis chapter four, uh, it talks about Cain and Abel, right? You know, Cain and Abel, the, the sons of Adam and Eve and Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd and they both brought their offerings to God and God was cool with one and not with the other one. And it made Cain very, very angry, right? You may have never noticed this part, but God actually tries to talk Cain out of his anger. It's, uh, I think it's verse six. And it's actually, God actually tries to just say, to, hey, you know, calm down. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Cain doesn't listen, and he gets angry, and he actually, that anger turns into that bitterness to the point where finally the bitterness will culminate, and you know the story of Abel, murder, or excuse me, Cain murdering his brother. It, it, that's where it leads to. And, and the whole time, I mean, it's a foothold, anger. It's a very, very dangerous, destructive, and all-consuming thing because Cain's anger gave the evil one a foothold, and it turned, eventually it culminated in murder. Um. God knows the progression. God tried to talk him out of it. In fact, if you look in, in, in the account in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, uh, God tried to talk him out of that, that progression, anger to bitterness, because the evil one can smell it. You know, he, he, he can smell it and he'll use it. 
as a way to get a foothold into our life and, and, and to get into our life and our mind. And ironically, though, this is to me the ironically may not be the best word, I don't know. But when it comes to dealing with my enemies, you may be way beyond me on this one. But when it comes to dealing with my enemies, ironically, bitterness is probably the best I can do. Um, Here's what I mean by that. Bitterness is usually our best case scenario because when we can keep from acting out of rage, when we can keep from acting out of retaliation and kind of doing, you know, some of the things that deep down that nobody knows about we really want to do, you know, when those things happen, when we can keep from hating our enemies and hating those that persecute us, often the best we can hope for is just dealing with our enemies deep down inside with a very quiet bitterness, just a very quiet, seething bitterness. That's usually the best most of us can do. But here's something that I think you probably know. I I have experienced this. If you've lived long enough anyway, you know this about yourself. You know that just laying in bed with those harsh feelings, that that anger and that bitterness, you know that, you know, thinking about it and and just kind of thinking about it and and, and hashing it out and rehashing it night after night and day after day, obsessing as Dr. Stoop talked about, you know as well as I do that eventually that bitterness is going to come out. Given enough time, what's on the inside of it is eventually going to come out. And because it's growing and it's consuming and it's destroying, eventually it's going to come out. And, and Paul knew that because Paul, actually, after writing what we just read, Paul actually went on and he made this statement. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Because Paul knew something that your parents knew, something that you've taught your children. He knew that given enough time, no matter how good you can look on the outside, given enough time, it's coming out. What's on the inside is eventually going to come out on the outside. And Paul says, hey, don't use foul or abusive language. For me, this is my progression. Me, it is anger, suppress it, facial expressions, words. That's every time. My, my mom's sitting right over there. Is that, is that an accurate statement? It, it starts with a facial expression. It starts with the gritting of the teeth. And then it just kind of goes from there. And, and that's my progression. But what's on the inside, it's coming out eventually. I can't hold it in forever. So Paul says, hey, don't, don't use foul or abusive language. But then he doesn't leave us there. He goes on. He continues. He cautions us cautions us. He said, hey, what, what's on the inside? It's coming, on, it's coming out. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. He says, instead, let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And that's not normal. It's not. That, that, the first part, that's normal. That part's not normal. That part's very upside down from normal. But Paul knew what's on the inside is coming out every time. And what's worse, Paul even followed this up. He wrote that if we do allow evil to get a foothold into our life, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, and we allow evil to get a foothold into our life, and it begins to seep out, you know, something else on the inside's happening. Because Paul writes, he says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Paul knows, hey, you, you, you got God's Spirit on the inside of you. There's something bigger going on here than what you even realize. And then he says this, Paul writes, He says, remember, in other words, don't use hurtful language, be kind, and and remember this, don't forget this, remember that he, he, God, God's Holy Spirit, he has identified, he has identified you as his own and guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Don't forget what he's done for you. I know, I get it, it's hard, it's tough, it's, it's difficult, it's not easy, but don't forget what he's done for you and what he's done 
for me. And this next part, I want to be very, very careful in the way I present it. I want to say it. In fact, I have in, in my notes that I have here, I've got, uh, I've got it bolded. I want to be very careful. And, and I want to say this next part as kindly as I possibly can, because what I'm getting ready to say is also true for me. I am, I'm, 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 I'm not good at this. And I understand that we have so many different stories and we have so many different legitimate, justifiable reasons why we should be angry and we should be bitter. I know that. I know that. But in spite of all of that, just remember what Jesus had to do for you to forgive you. Just remember what he had to do for you. I mean, just, and I'm saying, because I'm in the same boat, remember what your sin created and what Jesus had to do because of that sin. And that's not all. When you think about it, you say, well, yeah, I get it, man. I know I've done some things, but you just don't know my story. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what's been done to the people that I love the most. And I would say to that, yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Remember what's been done to you? Yeah, Jesus had to die for that too. I mean, that's, that is a, that's a, to me, that's a powerful thought. Not only what's I've done, but what has been done for me, all of that, all of that was placed on Jesus at the cross. And in light of that, this is what Paul writes. Paul says, in light of what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me, what Jesus had to do because of the sin of the world, Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness. Just get rid of it. It's like, oh, that's easy to say. You're right. It's a lot easier to say than it is to do. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, uh, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Because remember, Paul has just said all of those things give a foothold to the evil one. All of those things do. Paul has just said that. He's just written that. And then he gives us the alternative. He kind of gives us the answer. He kind of lets us peek behind the curtain just a little bit. He says, instead, instead of harboring that anger and that bitterness and those harsh words and all of those things, instead, Paul says this. He says, be kind to one another. Be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted. And then he uses this word, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Fight club, right? It's, it's not who you think. I mean, I have been fighting the wrong enemy for a very long time. My enemy's not out there. My enemy is this battle that I fight with myself and God's spirit and, and my flesh. It's that, it's that tug of war that's happening. That's the battle that I'm fighting. And it appears as if we're going to fight the way that Jesus uh, commanded us to fight. It, it looks like we're going to have to forgive one another. It starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And I've got some bad news. If you're a Christ follower, if you have someone that would say, I've put my full faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross so that I can have a right standing with God, uh, if that's you, if you've made that statement and, and you, have, you have accepted him into your life, then the truth of the matter is you got to lean into this a little bit because it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. This is not something, there's no out clause to forgiveness. This word forgiveness is at the center of everything. And there's not an out clause. Um, it's a requirement. It's, non it's, it's unconditional. There's no conditions to allow us to kind of end around it the way that I have tried to end around it. Because, and the reason is because you and I have been forgiven of so much. We have been forgiven. So we must forgive. In fact, that word there that Paul uses, the Greek word that we have translated to our English word forgive, um, forgiving, that word, it actually, um, it, I say it's a Greek word, but it has this string of descriptive terms. 
to help us kind of understand it better. And one of the descriptive terms that is used to help us understand this word forgiveness that Paul is trying to convey and how important this is and how significant this is to being a Christ follower is actually the word grace. It's, it's, it's grace laced forgiveness. And doesn't that make sense? Because honestly, it's going to take grace because no, they don't deserve your forgiveness. They can't earn your forgiveness. I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Not going to work. It's a grace-laced forgiveness, but it culminates in forgiveness. It culminates in a canceling of the debt. That's the continuation of the word. The canceling of the debt. Forgiveness. Just as God, through Christ, through grace, you couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't earn it, and you couldn't work hard enough. And I'm sorry wasn't enough, just as God, through grace, through Christ forgave you. That's what God did for me. But this is difficult. And I know this, it, it is, it's very, very difficult. In fact, some of you right now, you're sitting there right now and you're wondering, is this even possible? Can, can this, what you are talking about, this grace-laced forgiveness and this being at the center of, of, of what it means to be a Christ follower, can that even be done? I mean, is that even possible to forgive and, and to cancel debts and, and, and to do, I, I, I get it. If, if you push back on that, I get it completely. But just consider the statement that Paul makes, but just consider it in reverse. So, so let's, let's reverse it, okay? As God's forgiveness flows to us, that grace-laced forgiveness that I don't deserve and I can't earn, as God's forgiveness flows to us, we let it flow through us. It comes to me, and it flows through me. And I can't do it without help. It's not something by myself, left to my own abilities and my own desires. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seethe and I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to cover it up for a while. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make you think everything's okay, but eventually it's coming out because that is the flesh. That's natural. That's normal. That's the world that is right side up. I can't do this by myself. See, God, according to scripture, biblical forgiveness, it can't stop with me because it doesn't start with me. Biblical forgiveness starts with God, and as God's forgiveness flows to me, based on the grace of what Jesus did for me, I just have to allow God's Spirit to let it flow through me. And I can't do it on my own. It, it, we, we've talked about God's Spirit through this quite a bit already, and we're going to unpack this more next week, but that's, that's how it happens. I can't do it on my own because by myself, the truth is, forgiveness is not about my determination. I can't work hard enough. I can't try hard enough. I may can focus on it for a period of time. And somebody's going to walk out of here today and they're going to be like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be really good at this whole forgiveness thing. And for a minute or two, you will be. But if you're leaning on your own determination to get it done, you're going to fail. I am going to fail because it's not about my determination. It's simply about my cooperation with God's spirit. Just cooperation. It's letting that flow through me because it's already flowed to me. Bitterness consumes me. It doesn't consume the other person. Bitterness hurts me. It doesn't hurt the other person. But it does remind me every single time, you know, what they did to me. And, and with all of that being said, I, I'm pretty much done. With all of that being said, and, um, and, and you may be sitting here right now wondering, okay, okay. And this is probably what all of you want to know, um, because this is why we come to church, right? I mean, if you're if you're someone that did not grow up just kind of doing the whole church thing, because that's just what you did, you know, I mean, that's the way I grew up. You just 
this Sunday we went to church. I, I just kind of happened, right? But if, if, if you're someone that, that's in church for another reason, the reason you're probably connected with the church and you're trying to understand some of this is you're wanting answers to questions that you have. You're wanting to better understand the world that you live in. You're wanting to have these answers, right? And that's kind of why you're here. And so, and so you may be wondering, okay, all of that being said, forgiveness and, and forgiving my enemies and loving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me, all of that stuff, it don't sound normal. It does not make sense. So what do I do about it? Okay, what, what is the way to defeat this bitterness that you've been talking about for the last 35 minutes? What do I do? How do I fix it? And like we said last week, and we said this week, and we're going to continue to say, this is not easy. This is not natural. Um, this is not typical. In fact, this is the opposite of normal. But amazingly, it's something what we're about to say is something that secular counselors are now just beginning to discover 2,000 years after Jesus taught it and Paul wrote it. Secular counselors are actually beginning, they're, they're understanding that this is actually, you say, how do we defeat this anger and this bitterness that is destructive and is all-consuming and that is absolutely making me useless in many, many cases? What do I do about it? What begins the process of defeating that bitterness? It's not an overnight fix, but what begins the process? Forgiveness. That's where it starts. It starts with forgiveness. So quickly back to Paul, very, very quickly. Instead of doing what everyone else is doing, you know, instead of doing what is normal, instead of doing what is intuitive, instead of doing what your flesh and your nature says, do it, they hurt you, hit them, <laughs> right? Or, 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 you know, if you're a Christian, they hurt you, you can't hit them, but you can, yeah, you can try to get them hit. You can, you, you can sit over on the sideline and smile when they do get hit or whatever the case may be. Paul says, no, 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 no. Instead of that, which is what you want to do, because that's just and that's fair. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind, forgive. Grace laced forgiveness. They can't earn it. They don't deserve it. It's not fair and it's not just. That's what Paul wrote and that's what Jesus taught. And make no mistake about it, it's not easy. It's the opposite of easy. Maybe the most difficult thing you ever try to do. And I'm not saying it's something you're going to master. I, and I don't for any, any, any level do I want you to think that we are trying to sell you on the idea that when we finish this series at the last Sunday in June, you're going to walk out and going to have it all figured out because you're not. Truthfully, some of us in this room have been hurt so deeply. And some of us, the scar tissue and the injury might be so thick that it will take years, years to deal with it. And I understand that. And we are, we are so grace-filled for that. We understand that. But the truth of the matter is this. So even though it's going to take time and it won't happen overnight, as best I can understand it, the only way to get that tender heart back, the only way to be healed from the past and that bitterness and all of that, it begins through the process of that grace-laced forgiveness that Paul wrote about and that Jesus taught about. And while we're not unpacking this today, I, 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 I want to point that out. We, we understand this is a series-long thing. We're, we're kind of leaving it at a dot, dot, dot each week, and I apologize for that. Um, but we do want to encourage you to take one next step with us this week. And it's the exact same next step that we encourage you to take last week. Same one. And it's this. It's the next step of make the decision right now. 
Because you know this as good as I do. If you don't make the decision now, next time when the time to make the decision comes around, you're going to be tired, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be bored, you're going to be wanting to go do something else, you're going to be whatever the case may be. So make the next step right now of saying, I am going to make the decision that next week when we begin the process of unpacking all of this and really talking about what this forgiveness looks like and how it works, make the decision to come back next week. Not because this church is anything special, not because we have all the answers. We do not. But if this has piqued your interest at all and you would say, yeah, I I struggle with that. Just make the decision right now as the next step. I'm going to come back next week. I'm going to hear part three. Because hurt and anger and bitterness, that is normal. That is typical. That is not unusual. And that is what we understand. That is what we experience every single day. And that track, that track ends with an all-consuming destruction. For some of you, you've experienced it. For some of you, you would say, yeah, I'm on that track right now. That's where it ends. But forgiveness, what Jesus taught, what Paul's writing about, and what we're trying to unpack as best we imperfectly can in this series, forgiveness is anything but normal. Forgiveness is anything but easy. Forgiveness is anything but intuitive. And forgiveness is the type of thing that will make people raise an eyebrow and go, I don't understand that. I don't see how you can do that. That doesn't make sense to me. But according to Paul, according to Paul, forgiveness is absolutely, positively necessary. It's necessary. Right standing with God? Forgiveness. Defeat that anger and that bitterness that can be consuming and destructive? Forgiveness. Grace-laced forgiveness. Please come back next week. We're going to keep uh, pick, right, uh, pick up right there when we come back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, um, we know this is not easy. This is not natural. In fact, uh, for some of us in, in this room right now, uh, some of us are kind of pushing back on this right now. We're thinking, eh, no, I don't know. I just don't think that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, that doesn't jive with what I understand about the life that I live. It's not fair. It's not just. And God, we, we know that. So God, we just ask that as we move forward into the remainder of this series to just help us to um, just just come back and let's just work our way through this very, very difficult, very, very unnatural thing to forgive people who have hurt us. Because when it all comes boiling down as a follower of Jesus, you have forgiven me of so much. You have sent your grace-laced forgiveness to me. And so God, as we move forward in this week, help me to just let it go through me everybody that I come into contact with as I have to do that. Um, and so God, uh, just we ask you to help give us the um, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard this morning and give us the courage to do it. And it's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen.